If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And I ask that you would give me just a wee bit of time tonight to look at a beautiful story of Christ and the cross, told perhaps from a slightly different place. So if you have your Bible, we're going to read from John 13 and verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel round his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The setting for the text that we look at tonight, according to this first line, is just before the Passover festival. And the fact that it's just before suggests that this moment takes place in the lead up to this big celebration, which would have meant that the Passover festival and its themes would have very much been in people's thoughts and thinking. I suppose it's in the same way that for us in the lead up to Christmas, the themes of Christmas begin to take the focus in our minds and in our conversations, the themes of festivity and and joy and and parties and celebrations, the focus on family and generosity and, and giving. In the same way, in the lead up to summer, the themes of summer begin to take the focus where everyone moves into holiday mode. There's that sense of things easing up. The sun comes out, the pace of life tends to be a bit more relaxed. Because these are the themes of the season. And and we tend to find that as we journey into Christmas, as we journey into summer, those themes come out in the conversations. And inevitably across December, people will ask us, what's your plans for Christmas? Where are you going on Christmas Day? Are you having family over? Or in the lead up to summer, are you planning to go away somewhere nice this year? Are you intending to have a holiday? These themes come out in the way that we think and in the conversations that we have towards our own types of festivals and seasons. So, In the same way then, I reckon, in the lead up to Passover, people would have moved into Passover festival mode, meaning that those themes of that festival would very much have been in people's minds and coming out in their conversations. Now, the text tells us that Jesus is journeying towards the Passover, but this isn't his first Passover. The Gospels make that clear to us. But what they also tell us is that he knew that it would be his last which means that against the backdrop of Passover conversations and preparations, as those around him begin to focus on the journey towards what is considered the greatest of the three major Jewish festivals, Jesus balances what's going on around him with what's going on inside him. He balances the outward journey with the inward journey. And this first verse tells us all of that tells us that Jesus is facing a private battle, a struggle that is rooted in his thought life. Inside himself, he's dealing with something that nobody else knows about and nobody else is even aware of. And that's significant because there's not really much that Jesus did that was private. His movements had a very public dimension to them. When he traveled, people followed him. When he ministered, crowds watched him. When he spoke, multitudes of people fell silent to listen to him and hear him. 
when he ate, people pulled up a chair at his table. Even when he prayed, his disciples were waiting on the sidelines. The, the availability for Jesus of Jesus towards people is incredible. He always made himself available and he always made himself accessible, but that was not without his consequences. That meant that his movements and his actions were very much in the public eye. And we call all of that out to identify something quite significant. In the opening verse of this passage, the gospel writer reveals to us what is going on in the part of Jesus that nobody gets to see. The part of him that wasn't at everyone's disposal. He calls out what's going on in his inner life. In the midst of the busyness and the hubbub of the festivities and the celebration preparations as the themes of the season are making their way into people's souls. Jesus' mind goes elsewhere. We're told it's just before the Passover festival. With that few words, we are shown in broad strokes what's going on in the context round about him. And then alongside that, the gospel writer tells us what's going on inside Jesus' soul. And as the inner dialogue of Jesus is laid bare for us, what we meet there is dark. The gospel writer tells us what Jesus knew what his knowledge was in this John 13 moment. He says, here is where his mind's at. Here is what is consuming his thinking. Here's what he knew. He knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And notice in that statement, we say it almost poetically, but notice the balance of dark and light in that thought process. Notice the balance of dark and light going on in his mind. Notice the battle that would have been there, the, the tug of war that his divine knowledge brought to him. The darkness of knowing that his time on earth was coming to close. He was soon going to need to leave his disciples, leave those that he loved. The, the darkness of knowing how his life was going to end. The brutality, the agony, the torture, the pain, the death. We talk about Jesus dying as though it was something that he was indifferent about. We have to understand that Jesus' willingness to embrace death for us doesn't mean that he was flippant in his approach towards us. He wasn't an emotionless zombie walking in a daze towards the cross with no feeling whatsoever. He felt the weight of what was before him. It registered in his soul and in his innermost being. And John calls it out for us here right in this opening verse. His heart is caught in this tug of war as he understands the journey that's before him. The tension of the darkness of his life coming to close, but also the very real light of hope, the very real joy of knowing that he is soon going to be in the presence of the Father. We have to recognize the significance of this, this inner turmoil in the soul of our Savior. He feels the tension of the realms here. It's almost as though he straddles the two. He's caught in the tension of heaven and earth. His thoughts are swamped between the created and the eternal. He knows his time on earth is coming to close. He knows that eternity is ahead of him. And he feels both of those things. He's caught in the tension of those things. And so inside him is both sorrow and joy. Anguish and anticipation. Pain and purpose. The inner conflict of our Savior. And we recognize with that then that he didn't just carry the weight of our sin on his body. He bore the heaviness of the burden of that in his soul and in his heart 
long before he ever carried it to the cross. And the gospel writer calls that out for us. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In this stunning narrative, we're told not only what Jesus knows, but we're also told what he feels, and he feels love. His innermost being is straddling the realities of heaven and earth, the two experiences of life and death. His heart turns towards love, and in particular, towards the love of people. You know, it could easily have been written here that Jesus, knowing that his journey was coming to a close, he took some time to review his journey thus far and to think through all the wonderful things that he had done. Having sat at the deathbeds of many people, many people in the final moments of their life choose to reflect on their life's journey, the hopes and dreams achieved and the hopes and dreams missed. But Jesus could have done that in this moment. Looking back on the exploits, the teaching, the miracles, the healings he had performed, the people he had helped, the circumstances he had changed. But his focus wasn't on himself. It was on others. And it was on demonstrating love to others. Here is a picture of the heart of God. Here is a picture of what is about to take place. Jesus is about to demonstrate the love of God to the people of this world in the most selfless act that put others, that put you and I first. The text says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Other translations translate it all as having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. This glimpse into Jesus' inner life is amazing. It's almost as though Jesus makes a decision within himself, like he, he sets his sights and he fixes his focus. It's as though he's resolute that he's going to put what he feels into action. He's going to demonstrate love. And the wording of the text is interesting. It says, having loved his own, it calls out he already loved them. That wasn't changing. It doesn't suggest that he loves them more in these stages than he did at any other stage. He already loved them. He'd already been actively loving them. But rather, what it calls out is that now he's going to show them the full extent of his love. That's huge. Jesus is about to demonstrate love. And more than just show them, he's going to show them the full extent of his love. He's moving into demonstrating mode. He shifts from actively loving to the activity of loving. He is putting his love into action. This is a pivot moment in the Gospels. He's moving into his final journey here, and his final journey is motivated by love and this determination to demonstrate and show love. It's like the Gospels are calling out here, everything that happens from this point forward is Jesus showing love all the way. Gospel writer saying, here, here comes a change. And everything that happens from now on in is love in its fullest form. Love 100%. What is about to unfold is the full contents and the full dimensions of love are about to be completely revealed, laid out on the table. The full torrents of love, the ocean of love is about to be utterly drained dry before your eyes. Every corner and ounce of the heart of God is going to be laid bare for the sake of humanity. Gospel writer says, here is love. Here is love all the way. 
And then the tug of war between light and dark and the tension between heaven and earth stands the heart of God for the souls of humanity. And it stands there in Christ. He stands between the realms. He bridges the gap between the created and the eternal. We see it right here as he stands in that place. He holds in his hands the hearts of humanity and the heart of God and he brings the two together in an encounter of love. In him, we see the full extent of love. This is a moment that the scripture calls out, look everybody, here is love. And what happens next is amazing because what happens next is that Jesus' inner journey becomes his outward journey. What he's thinking and what he's feeling comes to life in his actions. It says, Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power, that he'd come from God, was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Meditating as Jesus did, with an awareness that this was his final hour, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist. His heart to show love all the way, so him change his position here. And so him change his position in a way that he'd never done before when eating with his friends. The disciples had never seen Jesus act this way before, and profoundly they never would again. So this is a powerfully unique moment. Because this is something Jesus will only ever do once. And in another twist, this is also an act that is directed purely towards his disciples. There's no crowd. There's no need presented before him that he's responding to. There's no religious leaders that he's challenging. This is behind closed doors and it's out of the spotlight. Jesus ministers to his friends. And there's a shift again in intimacy here. And it's only really called out in John's gospel. Jesus begins to call the disciples his friends in John 15. He begins to tell them what's going on inside his soul in the Garden of Gethsemane. He even prepares them for what's going to happen next. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. There is a pivot. There is a shift. There's a noticeable change in the tone of Jesus and the conversations that flow out of this moment. But the pivot and the shift is also seen in his actions. He knows what is ahead of him. He knows that his hour has come, which means he has the cross on his mind. And what is on his mind comes out in his actions. What happens next, what we read in these verses is a divine drama. Right here, Jesus enacts the cross to his disciples. So powerful. A divine drama is performed at his disciples' feet. And what makes it so powerful is that in this moment, the story of redemption is told. We can see it clear as day. The story of salvation with its plot and its message is so stunningly laid out before us. But yet, not one single word is spoken in its telling and in its communication. And it begins as Jesus rises from his seat and takes center stage. He, he begins to undress. He removes specifically his outer garment. Now, these are actions that are unheard of, uncharacteristic for someone who normally sits in places of prominence at dinner tables. He was one that dined with influential, but equally he hung out with those deemed as the insignificant. And in every moment, influential or insignificant, it always seemed that he held court within those moments. But here around the table with his friends, 
the rabbi, the teacher, their leader, he removes his robe and he dresses with a towel. He officially changes role here. In one unspoken movement, he is transformed from teacher to servant. And his actions change the dynamic of the whole group. In fact, the actions change the nature of the disciples' relationship with him. Jesus intentionally changes from leader to lesser in one silent deed. And it's almost unnoticeable, the transaction that takes place here, but it has to be seen. Right here, Jesus humbles himself. We're told in Philippians that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What we read in these verses right here is what we see in John chapter 13. Jesus embodies these words that, of course, yes, they have a wider meaning and application, but specifically, they do come to life in this moment as Jesus communicates his profound message without ever speaking a word. He just takes off his outer garment and picks up the towel. He takes off the garment, the, the garment that actually signifies his identity as Jewish and even as a rabbi, the garment with its tassels hanging from the hem and the edges, physical reminders to the Jewish man that they are to walk in the law of Moses and the law of the covenant. He took that off. That's huge. He would be identified not by the dress on his back, but by the towel around his waist. He would be known for his service in this moment. He took the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself. And this, his own parable, enacted before their eyes, Jesus expresses the heart of God. He's shown them the full extent of his love. He's putting his heart on his sleeve and loving on the outside, and his love is shown in this story, which he brings to life before each of them. But interestingly, he takes time to enact the story to every individual with towel and water and touch and posture. Jesus communicates the exact same message to every person in the room. Each one individually is personally brought into the story that he's telling and to each one, one after the other, the story is told and the story is felt and the story is experienced. Each disciple has their own version of the exact same story. And if you think about it, he could have just modeled this with one. He could have picked a favorite disciple. Or he could have picked just the disciple sitting nearest to him and brought out his message with his object lesson and brought it to the whole group, but with the feet of just one. All would have seen it, all would have understood it. But Jesus chose to make it personal to each individual one of them. Everyone would know personally the humbling of Jesus to serve their needs. It would be their story together, but it would be their story individually. It was a story that they could all tell in unison, but it was a story that equally, individually, they could tell from their own unique perspective what it looked like for them, what it felt like for them, what it meant for them. And do you know what Jesus did in this moment is what he still does today. He unfolds the story of his grace in our lives, and he unfolds the story of his grace through our lives. 
He's the God of the Scriptures who we see to nations, to towns, to villages, to communities of people. He, he reveals His power and His might. We read of the heroes of faith, the generations of the Scripture to whom God moved and revealed His glory. And we read of that story, His story being told to them and being told through them. However, the amazing thing about our God is that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever which means that God didn't stop telling the story of grace on the last page of the Bible. He continues to tell the story of grace to us, and he continues to tell his story of grace through us. We mustn't view the Bible as an object lesson, where God demonstrates to the one what the rest of us need to understand. We mustn't read the stories of Scripture and view them as, well, God did that for them so that we, looking on centuries later, can know and can understand that. Rather, what we have to understand is that God unpacks His story in each of our lives. He takes time to speak into our hearts, to minister to us. We each ultimately have the same story. If we were to summarize it around this room, we could summarize it the exact same way. Jesus has changed my life. But we tell the unifying story from our own unique perspective, what that looks like for me, what that feels like for me, what that means to me. He envelops us in his story, a bit like Jesus wrapping the towel around his waist and making his way around the room of his friends, washing their feet, one by one, communicating his message collectively, individually to them. So he communicates the power and the message of his cross collectively tonight to all of us. But also he wants to communicate the power of his cross afresh, personally, to each of us individually. I don't know about you, but I thank God that he doesn't just pick those who are his favorites or those who are closest to him to communicate his message. He seeks to come to each of our feet and make his message known to us. Text says, after they'd eaten, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He, he took off his garment. It's a really simple statement, almost the side note that we push past to get to the actual foot washing bit, because that's the focus. But actually, the side note is the centerpiece. The simple act of taking off the garment and picking up the towel shows the humility of laying aside divinity. Text tells us Jesus knew that he'd come from God and he knew that he was returning from God. He knew his own divinity. But the text also says that he knew all things were under his power. So he knew his sovereignty and his authority and his majesty. But in his final hour, he laid all of that aside to serve the needs of the world. He laid aside majesty. He laid aside his divinity. He laid down his power and his authority and he took sin upon himself. And the removal of the outer garment is about much more than just keeping a robe in good condition. This action is a divine drama. This is Jesus enacting the cross to his friends. This is a prophetic act that communicates naturally what supernaturally is about to take place. The side note actually is the centerpiece. This taking off the garment, the picking up the towel shows the obedience of a son. He knows that his hour has come to leave the world, to return to the Father. He knows what is ahead of him. He knows the path that he has to tread, the journey he has to make, the brutality that he has to endure in order to serve the needs of the human race. But even though he knows that, he casts off the garment. 
that which represents his status and identity, and he picks up the towel, that which represents the position of the servant. Prophetically and symbolically, he enacts what is about to take place on the cross, because on the cross, he will lay aside his majesty, and he will take up the nature of the servant so that we can be redeemed and changed forever. He is obedient in this moment. In the closing moments of his life, he enacts what he's about to do. He humbles himself to the place of obedience. He's obedient to death, even death on the cross. The picking up of the towel denotes his commitment to serve, to pay the price, to endure the cost. It's more than just making sure that a garment doesn't get dirty or ruined. It's a prophetic act that shows love and action. It's an act that calls out what is about to take place is going to alter history forever. The side note is the centerpiece because you see the garment he takes off is the garment with its tassels and its symbolism, the garment which Jewish men wore to remind them of the law and the commandments that had to be kept and the rules that they had to be. This robe was a piece of clothing that was designed to be a constant voice speaking to the wearer about the way that they were supposed to live and the regulations that they were bound to conform to. This garment was put on every day as a constant reminder of the mandatory requirement to obey the law. It was almost designed to shout out to the individual that they were bound to a form of religiosity that had to shape every action, every word, and every thought. And this robe with its tassels bouncing off the feet and the legs, constantly calling to the owner to watch how they walk and to restrict how they live. Well, this garment is the epitome of a dead, empty religion and restrictive religious laws. And Jesus took it off. The robe with its tasseled reminders of covenants old and religious laws that were skewed, he took it off. This is about more than just keeping a precious religious garment in good condition. This is an enactment of the cross. His obedience, his status, his taking on the nature of the servant sees him cast off the old covenant. It sees him remove the law with its rules and its regulations, the unachievable weight of religiosity that condemned you and I to death and strangled the life out of us. He lifted that off and picked up the towel. Jesus' parable is given life. Not a picture to perceive with the mind's eye, but an expression to be experienced and understood. Jesus here is taking on a, a new nature in his interaction with him, one that would forever change the order of play. He's taken the nature of a servant. The side note is the centerpiece. It's the centerpiece of our faith because in Christ the old has gone and the new is now ours. There is a complete change in play. Death is now replaced with life. Law and condemnation has been replaced with freedom and forgiveness. Religiosity is exchanged for transformation, for experience, for a real living individual relationship with God. And all of that is brought to life for us here in this moment. Without a word being uttered, we see Jesus making himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant, humbling himself, 
and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And all of that without a word being spoken or a sound being made in the moment that Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And then after that, he poured water into a basin and washed his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Naturally, the focal point of this message is the moment that Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And this is something that's unusual for us to read because our time and culture doesn't practice this custom and has no need for it, thank God. I hate feet. But back then, it was a normal part of everyday life. Open sandals, undeveloped roads meant that feet were prone to pick up the contents of the road that they walked on. With pathways and thoroughfares being used by both humans and animals alike meant that roads were not always the cleanest and neither were the feet that traveled along them. A simple journey could result in feet picking up more than their share of dust and all sorts of different types of muck encrusted in, in between the toes, underneath the toenails, all that kind of stuff. So it was customary then that on entering a house, the first thing that happened was the washing of feet and it spoke of two things. It spoke of an act of cleansing and it spoke of an act of welcome. And as we look at these, we journey towards a close. Jesus enacts this divine drama that portrays and symbolizes the love of the Father towards us. And as he seeks to demonstrate and dramatize the entirety of the heart of God, he chooses to do so with an act of cleansing. The message that is communicated here, if Jesus is showing us the full extent of the love of the Godhead, and he does that through this act of cleansing, then it suggests to us that the love of the Father is displayed towards us in cleansing. And that doesn't sound very loving, but actually it really is. And scripture echoes this, in fact, it suggests that this is what Jesus is doing here. It says in Ephesians, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. We're told that Jesus loved the church and he loved it so much that he put that love into action. How did he enact that? He enacted it by giving himself up for her and according to Ephesians, he did so to make her holy. He accomplished that holiness by cleansing. When we put that process together, it tells us that Christ's love and action is manifest in cleansing. Jesus demonstrates his heart towards us. He shows us the full extent of his love by giving himself up, by giving his life so that we can be cleansed of our sin. Now, sin isn't a popular word to use in our PC culture. So what do we mean when we talk about sin? Well, we're talking about the things that we pick up in the journey of life. And I think that's what's portrayed to us in this moment of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The reality of the picture captured in John 13 that just as it's impossible to journey in New Testament Israel without spoiling your walk, without stepping into or being infected by dirt and dust, that would inevitably happen just as a result of stepping outside your front door. So in the same way, it is impossible for any of us to journey through life completely free from the blemish of sin. We live in, we journey in a fallen and sinful world whose culture is intrinsically linked and established upon the influence of sin. It's impossible to walk through such a culture without being tainted by what we walk through. Reality is that when we step out of our house, 
and into our daily routine. Our journey sees us pick up dirt and dust from the pathway of life. Thought processes, attitudes, actions, reactions, moods, words, speech, retorts, language, behavior, conversations. It's impossible to journey without picking up dirt from the journey. Nobody is sinless. Nobody can journey without mistake and error. We all fall short. It's just part of being human. And this isn't communicated to make us feel all bad about ourselves and to feel worthless because the message of Jesus isn't one that points a wagging finger and seeks to heap condemnation. No, the full message of Jesus is this. Every one of us has sin in our lives. Every one of us sins, but the love of God manifests in Christ Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin. The love of God fully displayed towards us, it leads towards cleansing from our sin. And when we talk about cleansing from sin, the natural thing that we think of is repentance because that's the gateway to cleansing. Could it be here then that in John 13, Jesus demonstrates in the physical in an almost metaphorical object lesson, he demonstrates in the physical what actually takes place in the spiritual when we repent. That when we repent with sincere and genuine hearts, Christ cleanses us from the stuff we pick up on the journey. And could it be then that repentance is actually much more than just negative declarations of guilt and an inward chastising of the soul? Because if repentance sees us cleansed from that which spoils our walk, if it sees us set free from that which we picked up on the journey, then repentance is much more than an apology. It's actually an experience of deliverance. Repentance is about a changed walk. It's about being set free from that which mars our walk. Repentance applies the cleansing of Christ to the feet of the believer. There's power in repentance. But the other thing that we said about the foot washing was that it demonstrated welcome. The washing of feet in Jewish culture was an act of welcome and normally the first action instructed by the host when a guest arrived at their house. Foot washing then made someone feel welcome in a house. And if we understand that the purpose of foot washing was to remove dust and dirt, but also to soothe dry and hot feet, then it not only signified welcome, but also made a guest feel comfortable. You could imagine a guest walking around someone's house with their feet covered in dust and dirt, absolutely honking. You could imagine that individual feeling a little bit uncomfortable and also massively embarrassed. So foot washing removed that shame it removed that discomfort and it made guests feel comfortable and at ease. And that information brought into John 13 is interesting when we recognize where the foot washing takes place within the gospel narrative. It happens in John 13 just before John 14 and you're like, what's the big deal about that? That's the number order. But in John 14, Jesus says this, in my father's house are many rooms and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. So don't be troubled. And don't be upset. Jesus begins to talk in verses following the foot washing about the Father's house and the welcome within his house. He talks to the disciples about heaven. He describes it as the, uh, the house that belongs to the Father. And he's going there to prepare a place for them, to make it ready for them. And the language that's used is important. The house belongs to the Father, but the welcome belongs to Christ. It's something he does. It's something he will do. 
He presents himself as the host of the Father's house. And when we bring that into this act of foot washing and Jesus washing his disciples' feet, it actually tells us a lot. It tells us that the act of cleansing is an act of welcome. It's an act that communicates that the individual, the believer, the soul is welcome within the realms of the Father. And if you want to take the analogy of feet and journeying further, then it communicates that the cleansed individual is also welcome to walk within the dimensions of the kingdom. That's massive. But what we said was that the act of cleansing not only denoted welcome, but it also brought ease and relief too. And Jesus tells his disciples, John 14, they've not to be troubled and upset with regards to the realm of the Father, but their hearts are to be ease and to be comfortable in his presence because their hearts have been cleansed. This is important. The heart that pursues cleansing through repentance is the heart that exists freely and deeply in the presence of the Father. The cleansing of Christ brings a welcome into the reality of God and allows the soul access to the manifest presence and glory of God. Any time, any place, doesn't matter what's going on, we have direct access to God's presence because of what Christ has done. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. Scripture tells us there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The weight of mistakes and errors have been removed from the soul and from the life of the believer. The guilt and the shame has been removed. Why? Because in repentance comes deliverance, comes freedom from the stuff that we picked up in life. This means that the repentance allows the soul to be ease in the presence of Christ and the nearness of the Father. Now, bring all that back as we bring it in to land. It says, after that, Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Every one of the disciples experienced this act of cleansing. As we said, Jesus could have illustrated it once, then made his teaching point, but he didn't. He washed every one of their feet. Everyone experienced their own feet being washed. But everyone also experienced every other person's foot washing experience. They had their own intimate experience of cleansing. Jesus took time with each one, holding their foot in his hands, pouring water, cleansing their feet. Each one had an experience. But what was experienced was also witnessed by every other person in that room. This was intimate and personal, but it was also corporate. There was a personal and profound experience, but there was also one that was experienced within the dynamic of community that Jesus had created about himself and his mission. Here then is a picture of the church. The disciples' experience of cleansing and transformation is one that is intimately and individually experienced, but is witnessed by the wider community. And as Jesus' disciples today we each carry a personal and individual story of cleansing that is personal and unique to us, but we're not called to carry that story on our own. We're called to be part of, we're called to belong to a community that builds around Christ and his mission. A community who individually and corporately pursue the power of the cross. Jesus' actions here are an enactment of the cross. The divine drama in which he prophetically calls out, without ever speaking a word, he calls out what is about to take place. 
and what is going to be accomplished at Calvary. And as we see that, we see that in particular when we notice that there was only one person in the room whose feet were not washed, and that was Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I were in that moment, my first instinct, having my feet washed and then watching everyone else getting their feet done, my first instinct would be to offer to wash Jesus' feet. As you've served us, now let us serve you. We don't want to see you left out of this. But the scripture doesn't say that that happened. The theme that is enforced, of course, is that the one who is clean releases cleansing to the others. Here is the picture of the cross. He who was sinless paid the price. He took sin upon himself and he paid the price so that we could be cleansed of our sin. He imparted his cleansing to us. He imputed his holiness to us. We are clothed in the righteousness that belongs to Christ, the righteousness that says we can boldly approach the throne of grace anytime and have access to the realm of the Father. And the only way that we can lay claim to righteousness is because he who was without sin declares that our sins have been washed away. He who journeyed through life without ever being tainted by it, without ever being impacted by it, without picking up dirt and stain and sin, he then is the one who has all power over all sin and has all power over a world that is influenced by sin. So if he turns around and says, you are clean, we are clean. Or another way you could put it, he and she who the sun sets free is free indeed. Because in the moment of cleansing, he who is pure and righteous imparts his righteousness to us and he sets us free to live our best life. In fact, he sets us free to live his life. And that may not always be the easiest, but it will always be the best. This Good Friday, perhaps we take a different look at John 13. And we look and see this moment where Jesus with bowl and towel and acts the cross to us and communicates the cleansing and the welcome of God. Look and see Christ with his inner thought life, with his being straddling the realms of earth and eternity, dark and light, life and death. See him who holds the hearts of humanity and brings them into an experience of the heart of God, brings us into the experience of the presence of the Father. See him as he takes off his robe, lifts off the weight of law and religiosity to release to his life. See him who takes off that which denotes the old covenant to release to us the new. See him who lays aside his identity and his status, lays aside his majesty and his divinity and takes up the very nature of a servant. He knows what is about to happen, but he is obedient to the Father, even to death, death on a cross. See him, pure and spotless and blameless, who took up sin upon himself, who died and paid its price so that we can come in repentance and find the cleansing of Christ applied to our feet, that we can be set free, welcomed into his presence, welcomed into his glory. 
See him. Love him. See the one that showed love all the way. Here is love. The light of the world stepped down into darkness and he gave his everything so that we can be free. We pursue his repentance. We step into his cleansing. We experience his life and we worship him. Would you stand with me, please? You have been so patient.